Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Continuing in our series on discipleship, we come to a passage where Jesus describes the promised Holy Spirit and his role in the lives of Jesus' followers. We will examine how the Spirit is active in the world and in individual lives of believers, as well as examining our own tendency to miss the main point of the Spirit's work by solely focusing on ourselves and our needs rather on the relationship with Jesus that we are offered through the Spirit. Thanks for listening. Well, one of the things that I struggle with a little bit in my life is always needing to be uh, prepared. I feel like I'm like a perpetual Boy Scout in that way. I just want to, I want to be competent for whatever is going to uh, I'm run across in my life and have, if it were a actual toolbox or a mental toolbox that I can reach in and solve whatever problem that I have. Um, I, I think that this can be a, a problem for me uh, because what that means is that I become somebody who doesn't like to ask for help. I don't know if anybody else is with me in that, but just have a hard time asking others for help and and actually even in the rare instance where I build up enough courage and I do admit I need help for this circumstance largely I don't really have an interest in receiving much from the individual in terms of a relationship what I'm generally interested in is how can they meet whatever particular need I have at that moment I mean it's embarrassing enough to ask for help I prefer not to continue this on further just let's fix whatever I need done and and go on the way this this week my truck was making a funny sound so I drove to the mechanic Asked if I could drive him around and drove him around and he listened to it. I dropped him off and that was it. We didn't go out to lunch after that. Uh, it was me and the mechanic aren't like swapping stories here. We, uh, I had a need. He helped meet that need and, and, and move on from there. Um, I find that one of the places where I struggle the most in this is with a disease that I've been diagnosed with, whereby when I open the refrigerator door, whatever I'm looking for disappears, and I can't find it. I think that's called refrigerator losteporosis. I think that's what that's called. I don't know if anyone else suffers from that. They don't have a pill for this yet. But every now and then, when I will go to the grocery store, the grocery store is like a giant refrigerator, basically. And I, there's many times that I can't find one particular uh, obscure item and I have to go and bother the poor worker who's got a mountain of boxes and cans with their little gun and they're trying to put it up there and I gotta go could you tell me where the band-aids are and you know what they do instead of saying uh, aisle two on the left do you know what they do they stop what they're doing and they walk me over to it like a monkey I mean not like a monkey that's what I feel like I want to be like, no, you're busy. Just tell me where to go and I'll go find it myself because I'm already so ashamed to ask for help. And then we're walking and, and I feel like I need to make conversation now with this person. So I'm usually apologizing. But um, boy, I feel like this is probably not just something I struggle with. I, I feel like this is probably something that's woven into our culture a little bit. I think Americans really love to have what they have. And you mind your business and, and, and I'll mind mine. And really when it comes time to get help for something... I'm only so interested in you helping me to the degree that it will serve me, but I'm not interested in pursuing a relationship with you beyond that. My, my fear is that we as Americans and people who live in that type of a culture, my fear is that we have applied that same perspective to God. I wonder how many of us are routinely in the habit of wanting to pursue God for a relationship with God or 
How often are we calling upon the name of God because really we got ourselves into a jam. And now I need something from God. Um, I fear that we treat God a little bit like if, if, if your life was a vehicle, um, we tend to want Jesus just to sit in the back seat, right? Because if he's driving the car, he may take you down a road that you don't really want to go down. And there might be roads you want to go down that he wouldn't want you to go down. So what we've done with Jesus is we've really kind of asked him to sit in the back. And you might find yourself getting to a place where suddenly you're a little lost or a little stuck. Whatever that is in your life, that might be. Uh, I'm, I need help with this sickness I have. I need help with my finances. I need help with my attitude. I need help with my emotions. Whatever that might be, you turn around and say, you still here? Right? You're, hey, would you mind turning on that GPS you brought? Maybe you could just get me out of this pickle I'm in. But we don't pursue it beyond that. My, my fear is that we have been trained too often to treat relationships in a way that just serves us. And when I'm done with that, I'm done with you until I have another need that can serve me, and then I'll go back once more. Boy, this is so different from what it was for the first disciples who followed Jesus. And this is why I believe we as a people need to focus in on how we can do better as to knowing how do we live as disciples of Jesus in regards to the spirit that he has given to us. I've entitled this message uh, under discipleship theme here, the spirit of him. And in the same way that we would probably fail in our relationship with our spouses if we pursued a relationship with them only for what we could get out of them, your wives would become maids and your husbands would become handymen. And that would be it. That the love that we would share with God needs to transcend beyond how he can just meet our needs. God longs to know you and more that you would know him. Not just picking up the phone and calling on him when you have a particular need, but carrying God with you through everything. One, one quick story. I probably should let this go. I'm too far in there, so I'll tell you. Uh, my wife and I were watching a while back this show on Fox called Spin the Wheel. I don't know if you've seen this new show. It's kind of like Wheel of Fortune, but it's with trivia. Anyways, um, we were watching this show, and they... Uh, they had a husband and wife who were working together. And it's the very end of the show where they can have, you can win the jackpot or you can take the guaranteed cash, right? That was the deal. And they had to decide between it. And so the, the wife here at the end, she's trying to tell her husband her decision. And she's saying, I went back and forth and I didn't know what to do. Should we go for the jackpot or should I take the guaranteed cash? She said, and I was, I was going back and forth and I was praying about it. And I, I heard her say that and I laughed. I thought, she's that's what she's praying about. $100,000 or $500,000? Like, that was the issue. And Emily uh, turns to me. She said, I would pray about that. And I, I, I got a feeling. Like I think we might misunderstand how we call upon God for prayer. And she turned to me and she said, the Bible says pray without ceasing. <laughs> got me there. Right? Got me there. When it comes to how you and I interact with God. Are you only picking up the phone to call on him when you have a particular need? Or is there something deeper there that we ought to pursue in terms of a loving relationship? Just like husbands and wives, right? You should not only love your spouse for what you could get out of them. There is more that's needed within our relationship with God as well. We're going to be in John chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn there with me. Um, we're going to work through a few passages here, starting in verse 5 to verse 16 of John 16. And the plan for this morning is going to be to actually build upon what we've already built. We're going to continue in this series as, on discipleship, what it means to follow Christ. Just as point of review, 
Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Um, He says that you are to remain in me if you're going to produce fruit. Remember hearing Jesus' command, not not recommendation, not guideline, his command, love one another as I have loved you. Uh, Last week, we learned that persecution is a guarantee. Do you remember that one, right? Persecution is something guaranteed. No, No servant is above his master. And so the challenge was when it comes to your faith, you don't act like a deer and try to what? Hide? Did someone someone see me? Good thing no one saw me acting like a Christian. Just made it clear. Uh, That's, I believe, how a lot of us live implicitly. So uh, this is where we've been. If it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, we love as he loved us. We're we're not afraid of persecution. We we live prepared for it. Not, again, afraid of man, but we would rather fear God and have respect for him. Um, To know that when it comes to loving him, that's found through obedience and that the disciple must remain in him if we're going to produce anything. So... The plan is to build on that this morning in chapter 16. It's kind of like my son's Lego sets. Do you ever buy, ever see one of those Lego boxes at Walmart for $800 a box? Uh, they come in these little packs, and in each pack, you build a component and set it aside, and then build a component and set it aside, right? That's what we've been doing for a few weeks. This morning, we're going to go and grab some of those, and we're going put, to start putting stuff together, all right? So that's the plan. John chapter 16, let me start here in uh, verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt In regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men don't believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regards to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you. Into all or complete truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine. And making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine. And make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while. You will see me. All right, so this is our passage for this morning. Um, As we're looking at this to see what we can uh, uncover from it, the very first observation I want to give you is from verse 7. Jesus says to the disciples who are beside themselves in grief, it's a good thing I'm going. They don't believe him. Jesus was convinced that this is actually something better, that if he goes away, that will be better for them because then he will send the counselor to them. Um, we looked at this, I think, a couple weeks back because it showed up in chapter 14. If you, if you flip the page over, chapter 14 and verse uh, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. This word counselor is the Greek word uh, paraclete. And if you can remember, just as point of review, made of two kind of Greek conjunctions here. Para, meaning alongside, and from the uh, Greek verb uh, kaleo, meaning to call out. To call out. So, so this would be somebody who calls out 
alongside you. And the picture I gave you was that of a, maybe like a track runner. And you have a coach saying, keep going, you can do it. Don't quit, watch out for that, faster, check your form, right? There's, there's always somebody there right beside you who's helping you. Um, the picture in this context and culture would have been meaningful in terms of a court of law. And that's why counselor is often used or advocate, your Bible might say. Somebody who represents you, somebody who's alongside you, somebody who is fighting for you. There's a few other words as I was looking this up that I wanted to, to give to us. Uh, some translations say advocate. Some say counselor. Some say helper. Some say comforter. Uh, but there's one that I really like. This comes out of the message and it's friend. That he is a friend. And I thought that's a, that's a good translation. Uh, there's, a, there's a better Greek word for the word friend. But what do you refer to somebody as somebody who comes alongside you that doesn't leave you? What do you call that person? You call him a, a friend. How do you know who your true friends really are, right? When, when times are good, where is everybody? Like Fonzie, right? Yeah, they're everywhere, right? But when things are bad, who is it that's around you? Only those who are your true friends. Boy, the Spirit will never leave you. The Spirit will never forsake you. Almost in a, in a sense, the same way that you as a parent would look to your child and if they don't obey you the first time or the second time, you don't disown them, right? You don't, I'm cutting you off. You, you continue to wrestle with them, to help them. This is how you are to act. This is how you are to talk. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as an advocate, as someone who calls alongside, as a comforter, as a helper, as a counselor. But more than that, I want you to know that the Spirit of God for you is a friend. Now, don't take my word for it. Uh, Jesus himself uh, uses the same language. In fact, if you go back to chapter 15, look with me in verse 15 of chapter 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you what? Friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? That's the same thing the spirit's going to do. Jesus says, while I'm with you, I make known to you everything I hear from the Father. And I do that because you're my friends. When we're going to understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit in us, I want you to think of him as a friend. And sometimes friends give you tough advice. Have you ever had a friend like that to tell you something you didn't really want to hear? Tough love, I think it's called sometimes. Yeah, praise God that his spirit comes and we continue to persist with us, even with tough love sometimes. That's how I want you to conceive of him. I want to move on to the next section here, verses 8 through 11. Um, Jesus now speaking here is going to address how the Spirit is going to act in reference to the world. So the Spirit here would be the subject, and the world is the object, right? So the Spirit is doing the action upon, we're talking about the world now, not, not just the church, but this is how the role of the Spirit would be laid out in the world. Y'all with me? Say amen if you're with me. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Y'all with me here. All right. And in terms of the world, firstly, the Spirit will convict the world of sin. We kind of looked at this last Sunday. I don't know if you remember this. As we were looking at persecution being a guarantee, I told you that you will be persecu- persecuted for two reasons. First, if you live a godly life. Paul writes to Timothy, anybody who desires to live in righteousness, a godly life, will be Persecuted. Persecution will come because of your witness of your life. But persecution will also come perhaps a little quicker when you start to address sin. 
Boy, that's not, a, that's not a word you'll hear in many, even churches today, people talking about sin. Ain't nobody wants to hear about sin. In fact, I can prove this to you from God's word. Um, the Apostle Paul here is taken before the governor Felix, and he is going to give a witness, both with his life and to call him out in his sin. This is found in Acts chapter 24. I have it here on the screen. Uh, the Luke records for us. Several days later, Felix sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, which was what again? Did you hear the answer? What self-control? When you don't say mean things when you're angry? But boy, what a good, perfect picture of what self-control looks like. Because how many people here have let something slip from their lips when they probably shouldn't have? You're in church now. Any hands raised? Yeah, yeah. Guess what that is? Called lack of self-control. Yeah, so if someone were to call you out on that, that would be like pointing out sin. So, yep, here we go. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Look at Felix's response. This is why I have it up here. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. Uh, You may leave. When I find convenient, I'll send for you. Does that not sound like the world? Felix, is he interested in hearing about sin? Yes or no? No, not interested at all. Uh, In fact, there's enough of that now. That's enough. Okay, we get the point. You can leave. Don't call us, we'll call. That's, that's the situation going on here because the answer to a Christian who actually is brazen enough to recognize sin is that you will receive a persecution because this, the world is, do you remember what I said? Sin-phobic. Just, just unable to process it. Not, not interested in it. You mind your own business. Who are you to judge me? Like this is the attitude that you'll get from the world. Um, the Spirit has come. The Spirit has come to convict the world of sin. I, I want to make sure you know what this verb convict means. Uh, it means to show someone their sin and beckon them to repentance. Did you get that? I want to make sure you don't miss that because at any point you and I become sin pointers, you're doing it wrong. Jesus says, why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log coming out of your own? The only proper way of dealing with pointing out sin, and rightly so by the Spirit's indwelling, is that you would encourage them to come just like you have to come to the foot of the cross and find forgiveness through repentance. It will do you no good to be a sin pointer, right? Have you heard that? If you have one, one finger pointed this way, you have three pointed. You've all heard that before, right? Yeah. So it, it's a very dangerous thing to be as someone who's a pointer of sin like that without recognizing We're calling you to come and find freedom just like I have found freedom. That's what the word convict means. When the Spirit convicts the world of sin, it's not just a pointing out of sin, it's also a beckon. It's a call. Come and find find freedom. The primary sin that the Spirit convicts the world of is the sin of unbelief. And I know this from the text. Go back with me again in verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, uh, convict the world of guilt in regards to sin, righteousness and judgment, in regards to sin because, did you catch it? Why sin? Because men don't believe in me. There it is. Fundamental issue. The Spirit will convict men of sin because they have unbelief in God. So, I want you to see, here's, this is the role of the Spirit. Secondly, in reference to the world, the Spirit will convict the world of righteousness. Now, I've got to unpack this a little bit here. When we're talking about righteousness, 
the concept here is this idea of inadequacy, meaning you're actually not living up to the standards that God approves of. That's what it means to convict the world of righteousness. Have you ever been around somebody that just you felt like is a better Christian than you? Does that anybody ever feel like that? Yeah. And that there is kind of this conviction of, boy, I should, I should maybe clean up my language. I should maybe stop gossiping about people. I should maybe stop judging others only because I see that reflected in another believer around me. That's what it means to convict the world of righteousness. Now, this is Jesus' answer, and I want to again draw you to the text. He says in verse 10, in regards to righteousness, why? Because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Where did the disciples look to see a model of righteous living? Where did they look? Not your question. Say it. They, They looked to Jesus. Well, Jesus is going back to the Father. Jesus is going to ascend back to the Father. Where are they going to look now? By the way, this answer is going to scare you. Where are they going to look now? At the church. They're going, to, they're going to look to you to see what it looks like to live a righteous life. Now, the Spirit doesn't do this by hocus pocus, right? The Spirit isn't this genie that just sprinkles fairy dust on people. The Spirit works through us when He says He will convict the world of righteousness. Make no mistake about it. His plan is to do that through you. To continue the work of showing the world this is what it looks like to be a Christian because the Spirit has rule and say over my heart. This is his work. Thirdly, the Spirit will convict the world of judgment. When he's talking about judgment here, he says, and it's so helpful, Jesus explains this. He says, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I'm going to try to get through this quickly, but I could spend a whole message just on this issue. We don't like to talk about judgment. Pretty much nobody wants to talk about judgment. Jesus outlines it in his strategy as plan part three to the plan. The spirit will convict the world in regards to judgment because, what's it say about the devil? He stands condemned. There, there is a movement in our world today to try to move away from talking about consequences and judgment because it offends people. And we're so afraid to offend people. We want to we move away from this and not talk about it. In fact, I've heard from even close friends of mine who are, who are pastors say that if ever there was a child who decided to place their faith in Jesus Christ because they somehow felt a sense of fear over God's judgment, he said... I would never do that. And I look at that person and say, why would you never do that? That's part of the Spirit's strategy to convict us in regards to judgment. The devil, is he off the hook or is he condemned? Yes or no? He's condemned. You got this right? So the devil stands condemned, which means if he's sentenced to condemnation and you're finding your life lining up with his, it ain't going to go good for you. Everybody get the point? I don't care if that offends you. I, I don't care if you're concerned that that somehow interjects a problem in your data, your weekend plans, God forbid. But if you look like the devil, he will be condemned. The Spirit is going to come to bring conviction on the specific issue of judgment. Why? Because the devil stands condemned. Uh, this is a helpful quote I found from Warren, Warren Wearsby. He says, When a lost sinner is truly under conviction... He will see the folly and evil of unbelief. 
he will confess that he does not measure up to the righteousness of Christ. And he will realize that he is under condemnation because he belongs to the world and the devil. Do you see the three of them in there? Sin, the folly of unbelief. That's right. Because men don't believe in me in regard to sin. Righteousness, they don't measure up to the righteousness of Christ. I'm convicted because I see I could be better than I am. And then lastly, because they realize they're under condemnation because they belong to the world and the devil. There can be no conversion without conviction. And there can be no conviction apart from the Spirit of God using the Word of God and the witness of the child of God. That's you. The witness of the child of God. This is the Spirit's game plan. Uh, there, was a, there was a show on a and I don't know if you ever saw this. It was called Scared Straight. You ever see that? They got a movie called Beyond Scared Straight. They would take these kind of troubled youth who are disobedient, and you know what? They'd show them where their disobedience is going to lead to. They'd bring them to prison, and they would allow the other prisoners who've been sentenced to tell them, look, you're going to be right here in these jail cells with me unless you change. I think that's exactly the picture. That Jesus is leaving by the Spirit's working to say, if you end up looking like the world, even if that causes you a sense of discomfort, praise the Lord if it leads to repentance. All right, are we on the same page? Uh, I'm, this morning's all about what is the Spirit doing? And I want to make sure you don't lose the point that even though we're talking about how he operates to the world, you got to get this now, he's not doing it without you. He's doing it through you. In these three areas, right? To convict of guilt in regards to sin, they don't believe in righteousness, they don't measure up, and judgment, because they might look like the devil. So God is going to do that through you, through me, and he's going to do it by the power of the Spirit. All right, now let's switch gears a little bit, because the next few verses, verses 12 through 15, he switches the object now. Spirit is still the subject, but now he's going to look not at the world, he's going to look to the disciples. So this is now where the church comes into play. This is uh, the Spirit's work within you and I. Firstly, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. In fact, if you look with me back to the text, verse 12, I have much more to say to you about this. Uh, Much more to say, more than you can bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. The word here, guide, means to actually bring them along in process so that they learn. I was talking to uh, my son the other day, and I said, I just, I said, I have an intuition. I said, do you know what intuition means? He said, no. I said, all right. um, Okay, I have a suspicion. Do you know what suspicion means? He said, no. I said, okay, I have a feeling. Do you know what feeling is? He was like, yeah, I know what that is. And then I reversed it back so I could explain suspicion, so I could explain intuition, so that he could understand what I'm saying. That's what the Spirit does with us. You and I, we sometimes, when it comes to what the Spirit would tell us, we're like, no, I didn't, what? No, I didn't get it. And He doesn't give up on you because what it means to guide you in truth is if you got stuck over here and you couldn't make it, let me, let me work you over here now. Come, come this way because we're going to get to where we got to go. The Spirit's job in your life and mine is a work of long-suffering and patience that He will not yield or give up the work of Drawing you out of the world and showing you what truth is. Helping you understand that you can rightly discern that from error. Um, That's the first thing. So the Spirit's work in your life is this gentle, continual work of drawing you to teach you into all truth. Secondly, the Spirit will speak only what he hears. 
He will speak what he hears. And we see this even repeated from Jesus. If you go back to John chapter 14, flip back just a little bit. John chapter 14, at the end of verse 9, he says, How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So even when Jesus spoke, Jesus was speaking what he heard from God the Father. And now what is the Spirit going to speak? Look back into the text. I'm back in chapter 16 now. Everybody with me? It's chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak. I'm sorry. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Um, the, the best way I could think of helping us to understand this is the idea of a, of a translator. You guys know what translators are, right? Different languages. There, there are times at which I have preached sermons in uh, front of congregations that don't speak English, and I have a translator here with me. And so I'd say a sentence and then stop, and then they would explain it. Uh, Spanish and uh, Creole have been the two that I've had the most uh, experience in. But there's been times where I'll say a short little sentence, but it had this context that the people are unaware of. And the translator is like going on for like a paragraph. And I'm like, are you, what are you saying, man? I, like, I said this little thing, and you, like 20 minutes later, you're done. Um, and the reason is because a translator has to apply truth to circumstance. That's what the Spirit does when he says he doesn't speak on his own. He speaks what he hears, meaning that he's translating the truth of God into your particular circumstance. It's not made up. It's not apart from God. There is a unity. There is a a coalescence here of truth. And you and I are frankly pretty dumb to truth. It's it's to God's credit and mercy that he gives us his spirit to help us to understand what we have failed to understand on our own. But then even more than to help us apply it to our circumstances. So the spirit will guide you into truth. The spirit will speak only what he hears. And thirdly, the spirit will continue the work that Jesus started. And you can see this if you look back into the text, verse 14. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He says, all that I have is from the Father, and I've offered it to you to make it known to you. What's the Spirit doing? Same thing Jesus was doing. Uh, Best way I can help you understand this is, uh, anyone in here ever lose a loved one? Anybody knows what that feels like to, to lose somebody who's close to you? Um, if you're a little bit like me in those circumstances, do you ever have moments where though they're not here anymore, you'd be like, I know what they would say in this circumstance or oh, this is how they would react in this type of, right? As if they were here, you know how they would continue to act. That's almost a parallel to what the spirit does. If Jesus were right here, this is what he would say. This is how he would act. This is the response he would have. And though you don't see him right here, you do see him. You do perceive him. You do behold Jesus through the Spirit so that the work of Jesus continues. Uh, I'm like that when it comes to uh, cutting down trees. Whenever I go out in the woods with my dad um, and we cut down a tree for firewood, he, for some reason, and nobody's ever going to see this, he would not leave the stump up here 24 inches off the ground. He would cut it all the way down to the dirt so that nobody could see there was a stump there because apparently he just didn't want people to know or my mom to know, or someone to know that there was a tree missing from this location. So to this day, when I cut down a tree, I'll let it fall, and I'll look at that dang stump, and I'll think, i got to cut the stump now. Why? 
No one's watching. Nobody would ever know. But this is what he would do. And so that's why, that's why I'm going to do it too. Now, now, Jesus modeled what righteousness looked like. He lived in a way before his disciples. They saw it every day. How are they going to continue to know what would Jesus do? And it happens through the work of the Spirit. What would Jesus do with those bracelets that we wore, what, like two decades ago now, right? Um, what did Jesus do is what we probably should wear. Because that's what you should be doing. How do I know what Jesus would do? Because the Spirit has been given to you. He will guide you. He will speak what he hears directly from God. And he'll continue the same work as Jesus. So what can we do with this? I have a few conclusions just to leave you with this morning. Firstly, a true disciple needs a friend. Don't don't be like me. Don't be like, I got this on my own. I don't need any help. I'm a tough boy scout. You need help. I need help. But if we think that that's somehow related to religion, you've misunderstood Jesus. Because Jesus calls you a friend. And he gives you a helper who's a friend. You need a friend. This was our passage again in 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because servant doesn't know his master's business. He said, I've called you friends for everything I learned from the Father. I have made known to you. Or this other passage uh, from a different James in verse 2. He says, you just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. To see you again, winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you got to do is call. And I'll be there because you've got... That was, that was verse 2 of James. That's a different James, though. <laughs> Applies to the Spirit. This is exactly the promise that God has given you. Um, boy, some friends, they're there when time is good, right? They're only there if they can get something from you. And that, uh, by confession, has been too often kind of the procedure in my life. If I think this person can serve my needs, I want to be with them. But that's not what God wants from you. He gives you the spirit as a friend. Look what he says in John 14, verse 16. He says, and I will ask the father. He'll give you another counselor to help you and be with you forever. That's what a friend does. So first thing I want to leave you with here is that a true disciple needs a friend. If you are going through life as a Christian thinking, I'm doing it on my own. You're doing it wrong. You're not acting like a true disciple. A true disciple carries The Spirit carries Jesus everywhere, every day. Number two, a a true disciple testifies to the world. This is not one that we particularly like to hear. In fact, I didn't didn't skip over it, but it was um, mentioned last week. I want to remind you again here as we're putting the Lego blocks together, right? John 15, verse 26 and 27 says, When the counselor comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Up to that point, everybody's like, good, that's a good plan. Yeah, let the Spirit do the talking. But what does Jesus say next? And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Couldn't couldn't you just get the Spirit to do it? Spirit's going to do it, going to do it through you. This is what it means to be a true disciple. A true disciple testifies to the world. The two ways that we've discussed how that happens is with a lifestyle of righteousness, right? You speak without words, and then you speak with words. It's a tough thing to do, and I would encourage everyone in here to to begin to carry a conviction. I need to do a better job at this, and it has to be woven in the context of good relationships. So this is the beautiful thing about God gives to you and I. Trust me now, he does not want you to testify about him in regards to religion. Uh, I, won't, I won't pick anybody out. Uh, Mary and Marvin uh, brought a friend with them. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, as, as they were showing him around, um, they were inter- introducing their friend to all the people here. Do you know how easy it is to testify about a person? Here, here's my buddy here, and, and here's my buddy. Not once did Marvin say, here's our carpet. Look at the carpet we got. And this is our wall. That, that's, that's the attitude that I think we would have if we think that what it means to testify about Jesus is to talk about religion. Nobody's interested in that. And frankly, it's a little awkward to talk to people about religion. The testifying that Jesus is asking you through the Spirit is about a person. And that's easy. We, we do that all the time. Man, have you met Jesus? I, I, I could go on for hours telling you about my Savior, Jesus. Uh, it's left up to us to do. Uh, thirdly, a true disciple keeps growing in Jesus. Uh, this is what we see as the spirit of truth is given to us. What does he do? He's going to continue to guide us into all truth. This was, again, a leather Lego piece from the past. Here we go, John 14. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. Why? So you can pass the test or so you can grow. What, what, what was the idea again? The branch illustration, right? If it's a dead branch, is it growing? What's the father, the gardener, what's the father do? Cuts it off. Yeah, you can only bear fruit as you remain in him. Jesus says, I got the plan for you. I'm leaving, but I'm giving you someone better. The spirit will help you to do this. And you as a true disciple cannot kick your feet up and be like, yeah, I joined the Presbyterian church. I'm good now. The call to you is to continue to grow in Christ, to learn more about him. He will teach you. He will remind you. Fourthly and lastly is this. A true disciple sees Jesus rightly or spiritually. One verse that I skipped over was verse 16. Let me draw your attention back to verse 16. And this is my last point. So just a little little more track with me on this. He says, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. Jesus here is speaking to his his death, burial, and then his resurrection. So you're not going to see me for a while. Just a little while. But then you will see me. However, there's something going on in the original language here that we miss in English. Jesus uses two different words for see. The first one, therao, is this idea that you can, you can see with your eyes. And then the second word he uses is horao, which means to make visible in, in a way that you now see different than before. You now, I like to use the word behold. Have you ever had that happen before where you've, You've known something or you've seen it, but you really haven't got it. I, I remember people telling me when, when my wife was pregnant with Micah, you're going to love being a dad. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, I'm so afraid to be a dad. I don't even know what to do. Uh, and I, I knew I knew what it meant, right? You now have a kid. I, I, I thought I saw what it meant. But that moment when they handed him to me, I know. I now understood. I know. I now got it. I now saw in a way different from how I saw before. That's what Jesus means here. And then, honestly, for the disciples, that's the case for them. Do you remember the moment Jesus gets arrested? What happens to the disciples? Are they right there? Take us to be crucified too. We're with them no matter. Is that where they are? Where'd they go? <laughs> Hiding like a deer behind a tree. They, they saw, but they didn't really get it until Jesus rose from the dead and now they got it. And every one of those disciples would walk the aisle of a martyr's death to be killed for their faith, willing and gladly because they did not fear man, but they feared God. 
A true disciple sees Jesus that way. Not in terms of religion. Boy, I could go on and on. I won't for your sake, but maybe another day. Um, It's not an issue of religion. It's an issue of relationship that you would call Jesus your Lord, your Savior, your Master. That's what a true disciple does. So what do we do with this? I just got one point of application. Um, As I was preparing this message, I thought, you know, we really got to learn to call upon the Spirit when we need help. And I just started to list all the things I could think of. What do you need the Spirit's help for in your life? My, my marriage, my finances, my attitude, my emotions, my worship, my spiritual walk, my ministry. You could fill in the blank, right? You, you need the Spirit of God for, for something like that. And I thought, darn it, that's the same thing I keep doing. I, I'm just pursuing the Spirit of God for what I get out of it. I'm just picking up the phone when I'm in trouble. Hey, I'm stuck again. Do you think you're, are you still there? Could you get me? That's not it. So this is my challenge to you. Don't, and I should say seek. Don't seek Christ-likeness. Seek Christ. Do you catch the difference between that? Don't seek God for what you can get out of God. Don't seek following Jesus because he fixed this in my life. He solved this problem I had. Just seek Jesus. I want to end with this quote from uh, Principles of Spiritual Growth by Miles Stanford. He says this, You've been in the arena. You've been endeavoring and you are a failure. Come out and sit down. And as you sit there, behold him. Look at him. Don't try to be like him. Just look at him. Just be occupied with him. Forget about trying to be like him. Instead of letting your heart, uh, instead of letting that fill your mind and heart, just let him fill it. Just behold him. Look upon him through the word. Come to the word for one purpose, and that is to meet the Lord. Not to get your mind crammed full of things about the sacred word, but to come to meet the Lord. Make it to be a medium, not of biblical scholarship, but of fellowship with Christ. Behold the Lord. So that's my challenge. Um, I, I think I'm convicted of this. Uh, it's humbling to me to think that I'm constantly pursuing God because I'm just adding more badges to my scouts. What, what are they called? Sash. Yeah. I'm just adding more buttons there that I can, I can do these things now and I'm pursuing God for those reasons, those are the wrong reasons. Honestly, it's like, um, it's my last story. Uh, when, when, I, when I was um, in college, I fought, what? I fought forest fires because that's a job that my dad did. So I got, I got wrapped up in it and I was out in Colorado. Uh, we had kind of a slow season, but there was a spot fire that we heard of. And there was already a couple of guys on the fire, but we didn't know where they were. So we went on the truck as far as the road could go. And then we hiked up this mountain and it, it overlooked this vista. Just for miles, miles you could see. But we didn't know where they were. We didn't know uh, the compass heading. We didn't know the altitude or uh, elevation. We didn't know um, the terrain that they were in. Um, And they're talking to us on the radio trying to make sense of it, right? We can't really tell. And then he says, just look for the smoke. And out there you could see this tiny little hill. There was the smoke. So rather than trying to improve my direction, my compass heading, my altitude, the terrain, rather than focusing on those things, I looked directly to where the source was, and guess what everything else did? 
fell right into place. I, I had my heading, I, I knew the terrain, and we marched down there, we knew right where to go. I think that's kind of an illustration to this difference of when we're just trying to, let me get my, let me get my heading right, and let me get my altitude right, let me get my walk right, let me get the humidity or whatever it is in your life that you need God's help with. Maybe stop pursuing God for those reasons and just look to Jesus and pursue Him. Amen? Amen.